Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 2nd of June, 2021. Welcome to another Morning Espresso. If you're watching live, you can, of course, click on the button below and you have various language choices. We're going to be translating this meeting live. So, um, yeah, you're free to, to select um, whichever one is most suitable. You can also send us questions via the Q&A button or, of course, you can always send emails to Nordia Funds at nordia.com. Right, this morning we are going to kick off with um, an ESG update with Katerina Hammer, who some of you already know is our Head of Active Ownership at Nordia Asset Management. Good morning, Katerina. Good morning, Paul. Hi. Katerina, um, the International Energy Agency uh, came out with their Net Zero Report 2050, and that was fairly recently, a couple of weeks back. It was much more aggressive on fossil fuel reductions than most people expected. So the question really to start off with is, you know, what are the key implications for investors as a result of this, uh, this report? Um, so it, it's important to say that it's one scenario to reach net zero by 2050, uh, but still it was quite um, surprising uh, that one of their conclusions is really that no new oil and gas fields should be approved for development starting already 2021, so this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also another key conclusion is that there's a lot of investments in renewable needed to, to reach the target of net zero by 2050, according to this scenario. Mm. Um, another thing was um, that the technology is already here to, to reduce emissions by 2030. Uh, and really one of the key points is, this is now a question of investments and change of behavior. Um, and I already mentioned implications for oil and gas, but of course also coal, that there should be no new um, unabated coal plants approved for development. So um, those are, are really the highlights. And of course, what's the implications for, for investors and companies? I would say a lot of oil and gas companies probably need to review uh, their strategies. And for us, um, our engagement activities and our expectations on companies when um, doing engagements. Yeah, it puts companies like Shell and BP in a tricky situation, isn't it? Because it's sort of saying you can't do what your main business is. So uh, it's a tricky one. But maybe from a from a Nordea asset management perspective, do you know how will that impact um, our climate strategy and targets? Yeah, as, as you say, we already have a climate strategy and uh, the key components um, is about integration uh, of climate risks into the traditional risk management uh, tools. Uh, and another part of the strategy is divestment to reduce our exposure to, to fossil fuels, which are not um, progressing when it comes to the transition to a, a net zero world long term. 
Um, and an example of that is our, we already have um, divested um, thermal coal. Um, we have a 10% revenue threshold on that, which is quite aligned, I guess you could say, with the scenario of um, uh, phasing out coal. It's quite an aggressive phase out um, and reduction of coal according to, to the scenario that IEA are presenting. Um, another important part of the strategy is, of course, active ownership. Um, so, as I mentioned, changing the expectations, it's probably likely. When it comes to our targets, I don't see any major changes um, in this respect. We already have a long-term target of, of uh, being net zero by 2050. Uh, we also have a midterm target of reducing uh, the carbon uh, intensity by 50% to 2030. And then the more short term target is, I would say, more related to active ownership and, and um, engaging with companies, especially the ones uh, mostly exposed to the, the transition and decarbonization that is needed to, to meet the net zero target. Um, and that work will uh, continue as planned. Exactly, and just to, just to reiterate, those are our plans, aren't they? There's nothing to yes. do with the report per se. Yeah, exactly. No, but I mean, you can see uh, the plans are are to some extent connected. I would say. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. So, so what have we done so far, and and what's still to come then? Uh, an example of, of what we've done is the, the collaborative engagement that we started and, and then um, were joined by 25 other investors, um, focusing on the, the new coal power plant that is called Wung An 2 in Vietnam. Um, and we engaged with the companies involved there to to first of all, the, the ask we had was to for them to withdraw from this project and then also to, to commit to not um, financing or be involved in any new coal fire power plants. Um, and of course, this, these are long-term projects and the planning of this has been going on for a long time. Uh, we also know that the average lifespan of a coal power plant is somewhere around 46 years. So uh, considering the plans of a coal phase out, um, we were also, I guess, um, challenging the, the, financial, um, the financials in this project. Um, and at least five of the companies that, that were part of the engagement has now made commitments that they will not be involved in any new uh, coal-fired coal power plants. Yep, yep. Um, but um, so, so some uh, positive outcome, um, we didn't get as far as them uh, withdrawing from Vungan 2, but there's also a sister project which most likely won't go ahead. Um, so that's that's one of the examples on on what we do in this area. Yeah, and all of this happened well before this International Energy Agency uh, report that they've just brought out. So you know we're ahead of the game there, and I'm sure that this will have a lot of impact now um, and and repercussions in the months and years ahead. So that's a super important um, point and. I'm glad that you were able to join us this morning to to just talk about that a, a little bit so 
Yeah, and I can also mention that we are, of course, also uh, part of Climate Action 100 Plus, which is the biggest collaborative engagement on the climate topic, um, addressing the, the 160 companies um, with most um, emissions in the world. So that work will continue. And of course, also this report will feed into that work. So uh, thank you for having me. And I'm sure well, I see you again. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, Katharina. And as I say, yeah, as you said, uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Bye. Right. So now we are going to move across to the main section of this morning's uh, Morning Espresso. And for that, I am joined by Nordia's head of multi-assets team. And that is Dr. Asbjorn Trollahansen. Good morning, Asbjorn. Good morning, Paul. Hi. Asbjorn, um, most of the talk these days in the financial markets revolves around, you know, the huge jumps that we've seen in various commodity prices and also the spike in inflation that was reported in the in the US recently. I just wondered if you could give us, you know, your take on the situation and whether you think it really is um, transitory, as the Federal Reserve are saying, or whether this is something perhaps more structural. Yes, that's a really good question, Paul. It's correct that, I mean, we quickly got out of the expectations around economic problems and the COVID, and then quickly got into an inflation problem instead, given yep. all the stimulus that was added from the central banks and, you know, also fiscal uh, stimulus throughout the economy. And, and now we're simply seeing a lot of these commodity prices rallying first, and then also consumer prices coming up. Uh, and you see that, for example, on the left-hand side, this is the CPI for, for the US up 4%. So prices quite accelerating, leaving real rates really low. So that's, of course, what is happening just now. But even, even inflation expectations are coming up. You see that on the right-hand side as well. Over the next 10 years, expected, you know, 2.5% inflation almost over the sort of uh, next period. So, yeah, there's, there's something uh, around that inflation uh, expectations coming up. And, and the key question is, of course, is that something that will last for a long, long time? Will it start biting in wages and so on? Uh, or is it something of a more, as you say, uh, medium-term event? These numbers here suggest that the market expects that, you know, it will be more manageable. Inflation will come down from the 4% CPI towards these 2.5% longer term. Uh, but yes, this is something to consider for your asset allocation just now. Hmm. And so how does that impact, you know, the, the, perhaps the longer-term inflation expectations that you have? Yeah, uh, you can say... Uh, we are looking out for, I mean, it, I think it's really difficult to say whether, as you describe it in your first question, whether it will be a sort of a temporary effect or whether it will yeah. be something that feeds in on ultimately into, you know, uh, the prices in, in, in more in general. The question is, you know, how do you deal with that? You know, both scenarios almost, you can say. Mm. Typically, you would have a... Um, you know, when inflation comes up, that starts to impact different commodity prices, as you said. It also starts to impact interest rates, of course. You see that on the left-hand side, where you see inflation on the x-axis, when that is getting higher, it starts to impact the sort of 10-year uh, interest rates, not one-to-one. -one. Uh, the impact is around 75%. Uh, and that starts to, on the other hand, also impact the level of return you get from your duration premium. So how much do you get on long-term interest rate levels compared to cash. Um, 
you know, there's already a bit of duration premium out there as curve has steepened up around the world. Uh, so, I mean, on the right-hand graph, you know, the left bar suggests that you get uh, 50 basis points more on US uh, long-term interest rates uh, over the next five years. But in if inflation starts to bite, you need to subtract the yellow bar. And so eliminating totally that, uh, you know, duration premium you have, for example, in US treasuries at the moment. So then, you, and then you're left with zero. So, so inflation coming up a further 100 basis points, of course, makes uh, bonds a, a little bit tricky again, whereas if they don't, then they're quite interesting right now. So uh, yeah. a little bit of questions around, you know, bonds and inflation. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not yet that you have to find yourself uh, your own way into the, to the bond market, if there are other opportunities, of course. So that's yeah. at least one asset class to, to address with, the, you know, or to discuss uh, with these inflation questions that you're asking. Yeah. So bonds, we're not sure on, we wait and see. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess we just have to wait for, for Q3 and uh, see what's happening. What, what's also going on is, is you're seeing um, wage rate inflation being a big topic in the US, um, not so much here in Europe. And that's because you know, you've got the stimulus checks, uh, you've got social programs, and all that being run in the US right now. Um, it means that sort of low-skilled workers are actually have better income staying at home than going to work. So bars and restaurants can't really afford to pay the higher wages. How, how is this going to play out? Because basically the bars and, and the restaurants are, are basically up against the government in the US. Yes, exactly. I think ultimately that's going to, I mean, uh, to regulate itself, you can say, by those checks ultimately disappearing. Uh, yeah. The question you are asking now, but also before, is of course, there's about the inflation pass through. Uh, yes. And so it's correct what you are saying, and, and we have a graph on that as well. If you look at the right hand side, then uh, the hourly earnings, so the hourly compensation is running at around uh, 5% at the moment. That's not the checks you're talking about, that's actually the workers that are still in the company. Mm. Uh, so they, their sort of hourly compensation for the ones that are at work is increasing 5% a year. The, the green bar shows you that they're only delivering a 3% productivity for that. So there's a slack that needs to be taken out, which is called unit labor cost. So that, that the cost of you know paying people relative to the increased output is is around two, two, two and a half percent at the moment. So the unit labor cost is coming up. Uh, the, the, you can say the price per output uh, that the, the companies need to need to pay uh, is uh, accelerating faster than the productivity of that those those checks uh, for the ones that are at work. So, so in a way, this this uh, increases or it's a threat to the margin you can say for for companies. So uh, the ones that are you know still working they're getting quite a higher salary and they're not delivering full productivity for that. They're delivering some, you can see the green line is coming up from around one, 2% to 3%, but it's not enough to offset the increased salary and the, and the wage pressure that you see. So, so it is sort of the, the general price increases is coming into the wages. And the question is then, is this a problem for the companies? Mm -hmm. Just like it was for the bonds where it seems that further inflation pass through will, can hurt uh, interest rates more and the answer to that is is exactly this can the companies then uh, increase the prices sufficiently to take the final slack in the unit labor cost that we that we see and yeah. on the left hand side so far the answer 
is maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so also here we are not we are not completely sure. At least indications from this slide would tend to indicate that wages, at least for now, accelerate slightly higher than the productivity and also than the prices that you know is getting passed on in general. Uh, looking at the total company, so it's a little bit of a a little bit of a maybe. Okay, so 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 we're saying the people that are out of work aren't coming into work. The people that are at work are perhaps not as efficient as they used to be and they're getting paid more. So it really is an issue, right? But I guess this is this is all relatively new. This is all, you know, looking at your data there as well. This is something that's evolving all the time. So we just have to keep an eye on that, uh, yeah. a very sharp eye on that to see how things uh, develop from here over the summer and going into autumn. I think, I think in a way, you know, they, you can say maybe just to be more exact that, you know, the people that are back at work, they are getting a decent salary hike. They are delivering productivity for that, but not quite enough to offset that increased salary that they're, yeah. you know, uh, getting paid. And the companies cannot really pass on, it seems, from the bottom right. line of uh, pass on the full price effect. Uh, so there, there is a slight hurdle in profit margins, it, it seems. Yeah, um, of course, that, that's when you start to get shrinkflation, isn't it? Where the packages get smaller, you get less for, for whatever it is that you're buying. I mean, that's something yeah. else I think we're starting to see as well. Yeah. The one thing I would say, though, on that on, on that page is that, you know, as you could see, then they, they were quite volatile, the graphs. Yes, yeah. So, so in a way, it could be also that there's something uh, you know, just around COVID and one-offs that impacts that margin consideration. It could be that, you know, the blue graph simply indicates on the left that, mm. you know, prices have gotten hurt by, you know, the COVID and now they're bouncing back and the red line on the left is coming in. So maybe there's not a problem. I think we need yeah. more information to understand what is going on, more data. Yeah. Okay. So the next question, let's, let's turn our attention to, um, margins and earnings development in the in the s because you kind of touched on it already um it's an interesting topic it's all part of the same discussion isn't it so um tell us about that yeah exactly so so to get a little bit more information instead of looking at the general data for the u.s economy let's look a little bit more uh, bottom up at the you know information we have for the s yeah. 500 for example here we've got the profit margins again on the left and you've uh, also on the, the light blue would indicate that you know profit margins are still hurt a bit. This is for the last thirty years, so a long, long time, Paul. Since uh, I think we had a, you know, we were a bit younger back then. Let's go to the <laughs> final part of the of the curve, maybe. But I think what is interesting here is to get a little bit more information. You could focus on the gross margins. The gross margins, you know, doesn't include all the COVID one-offs. So so we can take away that bit of data. And then it gets a little bit more clear what is happening. Are companies able to pass through, you know, the inflationary pressures they see from wages? And here we've got a little bit more, a little bit more uh, bold statement to, to make, uh, or a little bit more, uh, you know, clarity on the data that, that this seems to happen. Here you don't see that, you know, leveling off in the margins. Here you actually see the margins accelerate. So gross mm -hmm. profits is, you know, profits where you only take out a variable cost, not fixed cost or one-offs. And, and that means that at least for the variable salaries, I mean, you know, salaries that can be linked directly to the sales, here you, the acceleration you see in those are, you know, passed on essentially uh, to the customers. And, and that means 
that here uh, from this chart, it seems that the inflationary pressures that you're observing in commodity prices where you started, that you're observing also in yeah. wages now in the CPI, that is actually getting passed through the companies. So, so with this slide and, this and th these data points, you can be a little bit more optimistic about equities actually in this inflationary environment. Okay. So, so if I've got this right, what you're saying is that, you know, the, the function of, of profits and valuations is now really sort of taking over as the main narrative on the equity side, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And on the right-hand side of that particular page there that you had up just before, if we can yeah. bring that up again, Paul, then yeah. you can see that uh, the, the changes to earnings expectations, just going back from before the COVID started, I mean, where are we on profits expectations for 21, the year we're in now? So, yeah. so it's actually so that, that for the S&P 500, it's up 2%. So even before we knew there was something called COVID in March or February 2020, at least we didn't know how the impact, how, how severe the impact was going to be. Then compared to then, profits are actually expected to be up for 2021. So expectations for 2021 profits in February 2020 were actually lower than they are now. So the, all the stimulus packages, maybe the, some of the inflationary pressures, maybe the fiscal packages, I mean, they are indicating that they, they have all helped to actually keep the profit intact uh, relative to what was expected, you know, maybe even one and a half year ago. This is strong numbers. Mm. And, they, and actually, this is not unlike what we typically see in the equity market. So let's make an analysis of, you know, like we did for the bonds. What happens when, in, when there's inflation around the system? Okay, bond deals move up, not yeah. one to one. There's some leverage that you get, you know, less... Uh, yeah, more inflation in the system that the bond price would reflect. So, so you get some leverage in economic growth relative to bond uh, yields. Let's look at the equities. When inflation comes, what happens to profits? I mean, just like indicated on the previous page, you can see on the left-hand side here that as inflation on the x-axis takes off and gets more and more significant, then profit actually also accelerates when CPI grows and at a, at a stronger and stronger rate, then profits also grow at a stronger and stronger rate. This, this is true for the market, this is true for value stocks, this is true for growth stocks. So, so inflation typically passes on uh, two uh, profits and uh, that also uh, seems to happen this time. Mm -hmm. So, so what's, what's driving the, those premiums? I mean, yeah, how, how's that getting passed through then? Yeah, just it, it seems simply that, you know, when uh, wages are increasing for workers, then companies will try to pass that on uh, through, uh, to their customers. So, you know, the, the inflation happens on, in effect on the, on the wages, but it effectively also happens on the output prices and therefore also happens on the profits. So, so yeah. inflation is in that way good for profits. That, that is an excuse, you can say, to raise prices all over the system. And in that way, profits is a nominal concept and, and will increase, uh, you know, with uh, the wage inflation. Uh, and you see that uh, quite clearly on the previous page, actually, if you go back to page number nine, then you yeah. see that on the left hand side, that's what this illustrates, that whenever, you know, inflation is coming up, uh, profits can accelerate more. So this is, mm -hmm. this is good. Uh, this is a very good sign. And, and, uh, uh, and in that way, you know, profit seems to be uh, quite uh, responsive to, uh, to inflation, typically for the last 30 years. 
And uh, with the previous analysis that we've just did the last couple of pages back, then it also seems to happen this time. So, so in that way, that's, that's good news for equity investors. So we just saw a slide there um, very briefly, and it was showing um, value versus growth. And perhaps that's something that we should also touch on because we've seen um, a move as well towards more value names um, away from the, the growth. And of course, growth stocks have been doing very well uh, during uh, 2020. So that's something that, that we should also discuss this morning. So should we pull up that slide and you can tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, as I indicated before, you know, inflationary pressures are, you know, maybe equally good for growth and value stocks. Where they are a bit more helpful for value stocks is, you know, when there's a crisis. So to get value stocks out of the crisis and out of the one-offs that they some, sometimes have in their accounts, that's why maybe they're value stocks, then, then it's good to, for them to get some inflation and central bank support in. Uh, they're indicators of e each other, you can say. And they, on the middle graph, you can, you can see uh, that uh, how earnings are behaving for both growth and value stocks. You can see that the value stocks, the dark blue a line in the middle has been rebounding some, not fully, but mm -hmm. of course uh, some. And uh, you know, you're seeing this inflationary environment helping uh, you know, the total equity market growth and value stocks, but maybe just value stocks to get a little bit out of the mud. And that also means that value stocks have started to rebound uh, you see that on the left-hand side, even though the rebound, uh, you know, is very moderate, you almost need to zoom in on the slide to be able to see the rebound. So there's still quite a bit left, uh, but but you are starting to see the sort of uh, you would call it green shoots of a uh, value re rebounding. Um, I have to say that when we play value, and I know Klaus Worm talked about that on a previous uh, espresso with you, uh, yep. then. We prefer a value stock where you don't see this volatility in the earnings. Uh, and so uh, even though we have some uh, probably tailwinds in some of our strategies from value rebounding, then it's not because the earnings are rebounding in the, in the significant way that you see in the middle graph. And it's more about a, a preference, I think, for certain stocks like, like growth stocks. So, I mean, but, you know, Every stocks, uh, the, the, the value stocks are getting impacted out of the mud uh, fr from these inflationary or reflation scenario with the central banks supporting the economy and value stocks have started to rebound. And on the right hand side, we just illustrate, I mean, the lower uh, blue bar is a sort of the required value premium that it typically demands, the extra yields or dividend yields that you would like to see from um, uh, value stocks and the dark blue line simply indicates uh, you know, how low can that go uh, mm -hmm. and, and uh, or how low should it go? I would say the required value premium and uh, the, the sort of the middle uh, blue colored graph is sort of bouncing a little bit back towards that line. And you can see there's still a lot, lot of room for valuation to come down on value stocks. So, yeah, you know, so value stocks also benefit from this. But in the long run, if this gets more than a, a temporary effects like you were saying a little bit in the beginning if this is a temporary effect only then this is maybe what it is if it gets you know something that lasts a little bit longer then it's good not only for value stocks but absolutely for the for the whole equity market as long as they can pass these prices through and so so equities is is where we would stay uh, and where we are positioned uh, to deal with this inflationary and also live a longer term biting inflation scenario yeah, I was going to ask you actually because it's, it feels like we're in a sort of 
um, inflection point, really. And, and obviously, it's tricky then to make calls around that. But how is this all feeding into your models? And, and you know, what impact is that ultimately having on, on the various portfolios that you're running? Yeah, so a little bit skeptical still on how much of this uh, reflation scenario bonds price prices in. Of course, if uh, inflation is going to be absent tomorrow, then bonds are maybe more interesting now, but it doesn't really price in a lot of the risk, particularly not in Europe. Uh, I would say, though, that that equities through, you know, the tailwind that profits will get from inflation, it seems, and we can look at the gross margins, not now to see the evidence of that, that this is also true this time, just like it's been for the last 30 years where inflation has in general been passed through a company also benefiting the profits. Then this is, a, I think, a good place to be. A credits also get some tailwinds uh, because there's not a lot of defaults happening uh, in an inflationary scenario. Uh, but it's not really the same. There's much more support uh, simply because you get a profit growth in equities relative to credits. So equities are more, you know, equities are more, uh, you know, uh, as long as you can pass through inflation, then equities are much better in an inflationary scenario. Uh, and, and so uh, that seems to be the case also this time around. Okay. Great. Well, what I'm going to do now is call up the, the summary slide. And if maybe if you've got anything to add at the end, then uh, we'll get to that in a, in a second. But um, key takeaways that we have for this morning, um, we've seen this inflation risk um, in the asset allocation. It's not yet obvious which way this is going to go, uh, but it's certainly fully priced in on bonds, like you were just saying. Um, that's perhaps where the greatest risk is. Um, the question now is, you know, what to what extent uh, global companies are price takers in a global world? So this is something that we, we need to consider as well. Yeah. So um, if I can just add on that, yeah. that's important for the pass through of inflation. Mm. And so, you know, if, if companies are too much price takers, then the prices, output prices are sort of set and inflation can, salary inflation cannot easily be passed through the companies. We're not really seeing that. I mean, that, that just now, so now it seems that companies are more able to pass through prices that they've been for the last 20 years. Typically, it has been that profits have gone under pressure when input prices have been going up. You're not really seeing that so much this time around. And, uh, and so maybe they're, not, maybe they're not fully price takers just now in the way. But this is something to keep an eye for, because if they are price takers, then the you know, inflationary pressures would eat into the profit margins and then you know, companies would get, would get into, into a, a lot of trouble uh, with profits, you know, maybe decelerating, profit growth decelerating or even falling, you know, flagging a, a next, the next slowdown. So this is, this is really key uh, to keep an eye out uh, for. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we're in this unique situation where everyone's been locked down. Now suddenly everyone's being given a lot of freedom. It could be that this is just temporary, that, that, that people are willing to spend money uh, because they've been saving money and then six or 12 months down the road, suddenly they, they tighten their purse strings again. We, this is something that we just have to wait and see. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And, and to which extent that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of dynamics in, in that yeah. right now. That, that is for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Then we have the, the nominal earnings growth, um, which tends to accelerate with inflation and, um, you know, like you were saying, presumably this is okay for equities, uh, but 
again, you know, the central banks are also, we haven't touched on this, but the central banks are also have a role to play here as well. So it depends on how they now react to this inflation. Uh, that will also obviously impact uh, the markets as, as well. And we think that generally, you know, most equity styles will benefit from, from this scenario. Um, we're seeing value definitely come back into play um, and that will eventually then spread out more broadly across, across the equity market. Yeah, and I think we are already seeing that. But as I said before, you know, inflation helps take away this, uh, these one-offs that value companies typically have. You know, it's a little bit like high yield that is getting bailed out by the central banks. So are value stocks by this amount of stimulus, the inflationary pressures are good for them, taking away the risks or reflationary pressures. But then in the next phase, when if inflation starts to bite a little bit more broadly, then, then it should benefit uh, all styles in the equity market as long as they can pass pass through the inflationary to the output prices. And uh, this is what we are seeing so far, uh, but also something we need to keep an eye for. Okay, well, a bit of cautious optimism here <laughs> in the multi-assets team. Um, thank you very much for, for joining us this morning, and we will definitely have to get you back on uh, in a few months' time to see how things are evolving and, and what's going on. Yes, exciting times. Let's see. There's a lot to watch. <laughs> Great. So uh, next week on the 9th of June, we will be taking a look at investment opportunities within uh, European covered bonds. And for that, I will be joined by portfolio manager Henrik Stiller. In the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert microsite at nordia.lu. And there you'll find all of the past interviews that we've done and also podcast versions of those Plus, of course, we'll be posting this one as well. So you'll find that there in the next few days. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Wednesday.